With the 13th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just over two weeks away from the start of the 2016 NFL Draft. Certainly cannot believe that's right around the corner. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside by Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. As always, we have a phenomenal program for you here today. Guys, how are you doing as uh, the draft is quickly approaching on the horizon? Hey, it's moving fast, man. I, I can't believe we're only a couple weeks away. Uh, it's my, one of my favorite times of the year, so very, very exciting. I have my flight booked, hotels booked. Wow, there you go. Right. Being Heading out to Chicago. So uh, it, it feels real. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. You'll be hanging out with a ton of Eagles fans out there in Draft Town. Uh, Fran, what is the counter on in terms of how many prospects you've studied to this point? Uh, it's over four. Over we 400. Over four bills. Yeah, we're over four bills. So. Impressive, to say the least. But Eagles Draft Central is uh, is looking to be very, you know, Alex talked about it a little bit. He'll be out in Chicago. Chris will be hosting from the main desk here in the Xfinity studio with uh, Ross Tucker and with Ike Reese. We'll have Dave Spadaro and Merrill Reese over at the over at Lincoln Financial Field during the event. So uh, myself and Greg Cosell will be over in the other studio. So it'll be, it'll be a jam-packed uh, edition of Eagles Draft Central. So the... Preview show is Wednesday. Wednesday the twenty. Yeah, what is that? The twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. So Wednesday the twenty seventh at five p.m. is our preview show, and then we kick things off a half hour before the start of draft, seven thirty p.m. on Thursday, April twenty eighth. And as we record this, the Eagles are still at the number eight overall selection. Uh, we're going to get into the latest news and notes in our draft buzz. Our Mr. Relevant is Josh Norris, the phenomenal draft analyst from Rotor World and NBC Sports. Our pick six, we're going to get a little Eagle-centric here. Six positions of need and who would fit those spots. We are not going to address the quarterback position. We've kind of talked about the quarterback prospects quite a bit throughout the journey to the draft podcast process here. So we're going to look at some of the other positions. Our unofficial visit, former Notre Dame lineman Nick Martin, will follow in his brother's footsteps to be a high-round pick and possibly an immediate impact starter. And then lots of your questions to get to in our draft mailbag. But first and foremost, it's Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, we're going to kick things off here on Draft Buzz by inviting you fans during Draft Weekend on Saturday, April 30th to come out to the Eagles Spotlight Forum to learn about what is life like during the NFL Draft experience. It will be held at Lincoln Financial Field, and you will get a chance to meet players like former first-round pick Brandon Graham, last year's third-round selection Jordan Hicks, and we'll also take you through the process of an undrafted player, safety Chris Maragos, who's gone on to have a phenomenal NFL career, so you can meet them, get autographs, you'll get a commemorative poster, learn more about the Eagles Spotlight Forum as tickets are going fast at philadelphiaeagles.com slash spotlight forum. The first bit of news here comes from our good friend Tony Pauline, who's done an outstanding job uh, throughout the draft process with his draft buzz column, dropping each and every Monday morning on philadelphiaeagles.com. His top note is that league insiders, what he's hearing is that there are four teams 
who have inquired about acquiring the number one overall pick from the Tennessee Titans. One of them, a little bit of a surprise because they are not that far down the totem pole, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. So you might be wondering, why would the Cowboys want the number one overall pick? Do they want to get one of the quarterbacks? I believe, in my opinion, that's the direction they should be thinking at the very least, mm -hmm. unless they're trying to load up for one more big run with Tony Romo. But nonetheless, apparently, the object of their desire, the player of their desire, is Florida State cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Which is not that surprising. I mean, you would think that if they were going to make the move up, that it would be for a quarterback, and you would think that it would be for Carson Wentz, the player that they coached down at the senior bowl. But uh, Tony's report that it's Jalen Ramsey, one of the most physically gifted prospects in this class, one of the top two or three prospects easily in this draft class, uh, is not surprising at all, especially you pair him with Byron Jones, a player that can play corner, can play safety. You play Ramsey and use him in a very similar versatile role. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see that secondary moving forward. Yeah, and to me it makes a lot of sense that it would be Ramsey because if you look at where they are at number four right now, Ezekiel Elliott's probably on the board at number four if they want him, and one of the two quarterbacks is most likely on the board at number four unless somebody trades up to number one or number three or whatever it is. But um, So if, if they were targeting one of those two quarterbacks, and, and I agree with C-Mac that I think they should be looking that way, um, or if they're looking for Ezekiel Elliott, he'll, I think he it's a – it's fair to say he's probably they're probably going to be there at number four. So Certainly. if they're going for Ramsey, then it makes a lot of sense they would try to trade up. At this time of year, a note to all draft prospects out there, not that I think many of them are listening to the podcast, but you might want to stay out of trouble off the field. And one tight end, Fran, it's not heeding those words. No, it was Tyler Higby got into an issue uh, this past weekend. All kinds of reports out there. You don't need to get into the details of it. There was an article that just went up on NFL.com on Tuesday covering the, a lot of the reported details, but uh, you know, assault and you know, someone's in the hospital. Uh, you know, obviously both sides are talking right now. Either way, it's not good. It, we're not saying it's going to be a Lel Collins situation from last year where all those no, you know, all those no. rumors came up and he fell out of the draft. But still, something you don't want to have on your resume. Uh, what two, three weeks out from draft day? And I might be wrong, but I believe that Higby was just bumped into Mike Mayock's top five positional rankings. I think he had just gone up into that list, so. He, he rises up a little bit, but now this is obviously, it could be could, a could huge step back. Sure. Right, could be a big step backwards. All right. Um, also from Tony Pauline's Draft Buzz column, wide receiver Chris Moore. Fran, you're going to have to educate us on him a little bit. Played at Cincinnati, uh, had 40 receptions for 870 yards and seven touchdowns. Not really being discussed uh, on the radar as a top receiving prospect, but... Looking at his three-cone drill from the combine, ran 6.76 seconds. Scouts believe that he'll be a very good route runner at the NFL level and could be pushed as high as late into day two, so it could be a late third-round pick potentially. You know, more I watched leading up to the Senior Bowl, and you could watch, you know, in that offense, they, they, they spread the ball around in, in Cincinnati. You know, they've got three prospects in this draft at the wide receiver position, uh, and, and those guys, they, I mean, they threw the football. Moore was the vertical threat. He was the guy that they tried to run vertical, uh, had a number of big plays on tape, and so I saw the speed before we got down there in the Mobile. When you see him in person, you see the body type. He's got really, really long arms, and throughout the week of practice, Alex, you remember all those contested catches he made in practice during the Senior Bowl week and going up and winning over defenders. You saw him use that length to his advantage. So when you have a player, and we just, you know, we're going to talk to Josh Narson a little bit, you talk about a player that can win in the big game and win in the small game. 
Chris Moore has that ability because of his athleticism, but then also his body type to go up and win in those contested catch situations. I think he's one of the more uh, undervalued receivers in this draft in terms of being a sleeper. I, I like Chris Moore. All right, our last note for uh, draft buzz, Kevin Dodd, defensive end from Clemson who burst onto the scene in 2015. There's some variation in terms of where scouts are grading him. Some are seeing him as a potential top 10 pick. We've seen him as a mock drafts go in the top 10, and some see him as a day two selection. Basically, it, you look at his production last year. You say, okay, is that a sign of things to come? Or is it more of why didn't we see that production previously? You know, and he played behind a lot of draft picks. You know, you think about this Clemson defense a year ago and all the players they lost, and the year before that and all the players they lost. They've had a, an NFL talent-laden defense there uh, at Clemson in the last couple of years. So Dodd didn't get on the field until this past season in a full-time role really didn't really hit his stride until the, the back end of the season. You saw him be you know, near unblockable in that game against Alabama. You mentioned, we've seen some people mention him top 10, others maybe mid-second round. I, I think he'll probably be somewhere in between, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a team take him in the top 10, top 12, because you know a guy, that, and he didn't test off the charts in terms of his athletic numbers, but when you watch him, he, he plays pretty fast, and he's got great size. You know, he's 6'5", 270-plus. Uh, that's good size for the position, and that athletic movement, uh, it's a good combination to have. Yeah, and I think the question for me is how much of the production that he put up was on him, and how much was it that he was just playing in a really great defense where Shaq Lawson's on the other side for most of the season, and teams are worried about him, and they're worried about the rest of that uh, really, really good Clemson defense uh, that maybe they didn't put enough attention on him as maybe they should have. So uh, I'm very interested to see exactly where he could go, but I think we always see that these pass rushers, uh, they can get bumped up in the draft. Teams are always looking for that dynamic pass rushing threat off the edge. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he's a top 10 pick. All right, that's going to do it for our draft buzz. A lot to get into. Again, our pick six in a little bit. Six positions of need for the Eagles and who fits. But coming up now, our Mr. Relevant, Josh Norris from Roto World and NBC Sports. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, none other than one of the best draft analysts in the entire business. He's from Roto World and NBC Sports. He is none other than Josh Norris. Josh, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Quick story. Um, a few years ago, I actually got in trouble for calling someone Mr. Irrelevant on Twitter. I think it was someone that wasn't wasn't used to or didn't understand that that's what the last pick of the draft was called. And he he or she, can't remember who it was, um, <laughs> so that I was a terrible person for calling whoever. whoever I think it was Justice Cunningham, the, the okay. South Carolina tight end, yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. So it was not an insult. But this is Mr. Relevant. That's the key now. You are relevant to the program. So we kind of flipped the script on you there. So, so Josh, one of the things that I love about your approach to uh, analyzing the draft is that you're not afraid to go outside the norm. Think outside the box when ranking your prospects. So during this interview, we want to touch on your, your Eagles-only mock draft, which you just released on Tuesday on Twitter, so make sure to check it out at rotorworld.com. And also just some of your thoughts overall as you formulate your big board. And we know that you are the biggest fan of none other than linebacker Miles Jack. He is the top of your board. You know, there's a chance he could be there for the Eagles. 
at number eight in the draft. Why do you think that Miles Jack, we'll, we'll let you kind of state your case here, why do you think Miles Jack is the best player, the best prospect in the 2016 NFL draft? Well, he can create big plays in either phase of the defense, in either phase of the game. I mean, you see him for entire stretches, a full contest, playing slot corner, moving like a 200-pounder, um, not only keeping receivers in, in the short areas of the field um, close and man-to-man, but also down the field and intercepting or deflecting passes. And then he can move forward against the run like a 260, 270-pound linebacker, attacking in the backfield either between the tackles or out on the edge. And, and with all these different personnel groupings and different alignments in the NFL, the whole goal of those are to create mismatches on the defense, you know, and tempo as well, to keep certain packages on the field. With me, if you put Miles Jack out there, you don't have to worry about a single um, issue in any um, situation that the offense puts him in. He can thrive in any scenario. And I think now with all those personal groupings and, and mismatches that I was talking about, um, the linebacker position, if you have an elite one, an outstanding talent at that spot, it can really change the way um, you can play defense. And, and I think that, that really takes cer- certain defenses to the next level, especially if you have a very good defensive tackle group in front of them. I mean, I think that improves the play of linebackers tremendously. But, but Miles Jack, in terms of a great athlete, physical football player who's also very fluid and comfortable in space. I'm not sure you can ask for anything else. And I'll go as far as to say, I think during his rookie contract, he'll be a top three linebacker in the NFL. Josh, I want to switch sides of the ball here and talk about the offensive tackle position uh, and Ronnie Stanley because there have been some mixed reports uh, about whether some teams might be souring on him as we get further into this process. Uh, how do you see Stanley kind of matching up uh, with, with the rest of the top ten uh, on your board? Yeah, and I understand um, why, why some might not like him because he's the type of evaluation that the further you go throughout the draft process, um, some find negative. Because, I mean, he's not a complete player. But I think that when you are paying or drafting an offensive tackle early on, you're drafting them for pass protection. And that's where he shines. I mean, you look at his matchup against Shaq Lawson this year, the Clemson edge rusher. It was a great matchup. And some are going to say, well, Shaq Lawson beat him on three or four snaps. Mm-hmm. Any offensive lineman is going to lose a handful of snaps per game, right? It just depends on the situation, the scenario, really, really the play call, how, how impactful those losses are going to be. Um, to me, I see Ryan Stanley as someone with long arms, good size, and solid footwork to be a positional blocker. Now, he's not a drive blocker off the line of scrimmage in terms of, of the running game, but again, I, I don't think he has to. He has an area where he wins, and he does that very well. Um, to me, he's a top-ten prospect in this class. I think he's clear that the second-best tackle um, behind Laramie Tunzel, and I, and I would be comfortable spending a top-ten selection on him. I absolutely would be. Josh, C-Mac mentioned earlier your process and how you approach your analysis of the NFL draft. And one of the things that I've always liked that you've done in the past is, you know, when you've released your big board, you haven't necessarily included quarterbacks because you succeed, you know, you see to the fact that, yeah, if a quarterback is good enough to be a first-round pick, he's going to go to the top of your board regardless. When you look at Carson Wentz and you look at Jared Goff, they're all being met, both guys are being mentioned in the top ten. Do you see that as good value for those two players, or you know, I know you're not as high on them in terms of being you know top ten on your official board, but do you, do you realize why they're being talked about in that vein? <sighs> From a talent perspective, I just don't. Um, now I understand everyone sees um, quarterbacks differently. I mean, it's the same thing with every single 
um, position, but I think quarterbacks more specifically. You know, just looking back in recent years, and this could be a 20-minute conversation just about these quarterbacks, but looking back in recent years since 2011, um, at all the failed quarterback prospects, I mean, you had Jake Locker, you had Blaine Gabbert, you had E.J. Emanuel, you had Christian Ponder, Brandon Whedon, so on and so forth. Each one had their own fatal flaws. Um, I mean, I could go through the list. Locker was this completion percentage. E.J. Emanuel, Christian Ponder, they were both just average. Blaine Gabbert just left clean pockets in his rock step release offense, so on and so forth. Johnny Manziel was a completely unique prospect that there is no mirror image of his of him having success in the NFL. Um, and, and, and so I, I think a lot of times coaches and evaluators think that they can change the fatal flaws and, and, and correct them in the NFL, and that's just like not the case, at least at the quarterback position. Um, and, and I think that Carson Wentz and Jared Goff both have, both have their fatal flaws. To me, Carson Wentz is, is that you press pause with him in the pocket. Like he stops his feet, he stops his eyes, he stops his shoulders, and far too often locks onto that primary receiver and just waits for him on an outside breaking route, on a downfield route to get open. Now, those are completions at the college level that will turn into incompletions or even turnovers at the NFL level. And, and I understand he's mobile and he's athletic and all that kind of stuff. But in his initial movement, too far, his base is, is far too wide, and he gets stuck in quicksand. And to me, someone that needs to be, they don't need to be athletic in the pocket, but they just need to have functional mobility. And again, he's athletic and he can move once getting on the move, once having that momentum. That initial movement is always an issue with me going back to with Carson Wentz. And so like you mentioned, like I, I don't have him at the top of my board, and I think if you believe someone's a quality star, they should um, be, be the premier prospect in the entire class. Um, it happened last year with me with Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. They were one, two on my board. This year I have Carson Wentz and Jared Goff after all first-round talent on the list. So to me that sits them at number 23 and number 24. Josh, looking at your mock draft for the Eagles, at number eight you have them selecting Florida corner Vernon Hargraves. What is the thought process? Why did you send Hargraves to the Eagles at that spot? Well, one, he's off. Like, he's a really, really good prospect. Um, but two, and I understand that we might not know so much about what, um, or enough as, as what we have in previous years of what Chip Kelly and, and his group was looking for with the Eagles in terms of athleticism and size and certain positions and length. We don't really have that feeling right now, at least I don't, with the Eagles. Um, so if they're looking for a six-foot corner with a certain length of arm, um, then Hargreaves isn't going to apply. But um, in terms of an athlete at the position, and people only talk about Jalen Ramsey, it seems like, and, and maybe even soured a bit on Hargreaves because you're in a 4-5-0. Guys, he's the second most athletic corner in this class at the position. And then you add that on to his, his polished um, ability already at the cornerback position in terms of press man coverage, matching up man-to-man, and showing an aggressiveness and a feistiness moving forward against the run. And I completely understand that a handful of plays this year he allowed some big plays, and and that's always a negative, and that's always exactly what you don't want your man-to-man corner to give up when you give him a third field. But I don't want those to cloud his evaluation either, because I don't think the talent that he showed in 2014 just disappeared. In fact, I think he was good in 2015. He just gave up those handful of big plays. So if you make him a bit more consistent, I think he has all the tools that you want to work with. And again, I, I think we're looking at probably a top ten prospect here. Uh, next up, Josh, <clears throat> you have Laraven Clark in the third round. Uh, going to the Eagles. He, he seems like he's kind of a wild card at the offensive tackle position. Uh, some mocks you see him going as early as the end of the first round, or you could see him falling later. What is it about Clark that makes him a fit for what the Eagles might want to do on offense? Yeah, um, 
makes a lot of sense because Clark is, well, here's the thing. Like, the Raven Clark came at Texas Tech, coming out of the air raid. You kind of just have to throw it away completely, right? Like, he showed very little that what translates to the NFL in terms of pass sets, in terms of timing, in terms of having to mirror his matchups. Um, so it's all going to come down to not just with the Eagles, but any team that selects them. Um, if, if the position coach believes in the tools that he offers and the, and the demeanor that he offers, and if he can work with that and, and, and combine those tools into a quality player. I'm not sure if that's possible for Raven Clark. And, in fact, I, I think that the NFL will like Clark much more than I do. Um, but at a position where it can be tough to find starting quality tackles outside of the top two rounds, I could see that teams believing that Clark has those tools and he has the upside in the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. So for someone maybe not having to start his, his rookie year in the NFL, I think it would be a, 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 a very good situation. Again, I, I really can't get the Raven Clark's game against LSU. I think it was the bowl game out of my head because it was abysmal. Um, but again, I, I bet the NFL takes him ahead of where I would. I, I knew you had to sneak in the LSU game in there when talking about Clark, Josh. Um, that was horrendous. <laughs> uh, going up against Arden Key, who's going to be a stud. But Kevin Hogan was your second, third-round yeah. pick for, for the Eagles. Well, so tell us what you think about Hogan and how he fits in with what Doug Peterson may potentially be doing moving forward. Well, whenever Kevin Hogan's name comes up, I always go back to Uncle Tony, who seems to be on like the, the Kevin Hogan world tour right now, just talking about every single spot he's landing. Um, but Kevin Hogan is someone who like just would not go away during his Denver career almost. Like I, I would say during at least the early middle portions of his time at Stanford as a starting quarterback, he was just average at best and had some really big games in their biggest games of the year and their most important matchups of the year. But I do think that Kevin Hogan played well this season. Um, he is kind of the ugly duckling of, of the quarterback position, and that's a term that Matt Waldman came up with in terms of everything that you're looking for with his release and his motion is is exactly what you're not what you don't want um, at the quarterback position. It's, it's looping, it's elongated, all those kinds of things. But he is someone that can win inside of structure in terms of carrying out what the offense coordinator wants him to do inside of a inside of a pocket that might be clean, might not be. Um, now, can he um, extend plays? Can he do that with his feet? Can he go down the field? I think he has flashed that ability at times, but. We always look for upside prospects in the, in the second day and third day at the quarterback position. And that's not what I would look for at all, honestly. I would look for someone that can win inside of structure and show some improvisational skill outside of it, that can go through a game plan and be an extension of the offensive coordinator on the field. And I think Kevin Hogan and a handful of other quarterbacks in this class can do that outside of the first round. Josh, uh, big picture question here. Since the college football season has ended, which prospect would you say has either grown on you the most or maybe is one that you've soured on? That maybe at first you were like, during the season, oh, this guy's going to be an NFL prospect, he's going to be rock solid, mid-round pick, and now you're just like, nah, I don't think he can play whatsoever. Is there a guy who's you know, risen or slid down your board the most? Oh, there's, there's a number of them, and a lot of it does come because I'm just one guy, right? I'm not... And I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat trying to emulate a scouting department in some way. So, um, again, just one guy trying to watch as many prospects as I can. And then a big part of that are these all-star games. I have to see Fran at all of them, which stinks. But um, they, they, they really do help me in terms of evaluating um, these prospects. And I'll give you one name that I think is, 
who's, who's an absolute stud. And it's South Carolina State defensive tackle Javon Hargrave. I mean, obviously, I wasn't watching South Carolina State every weekend during the college football season. But when I was preparing for the East-West Shrine game, I mean, he was easily one of the top two prospects down there. It was him, him and Joe Thune, the NC State offensive lineman, in my opinion. And Hargrave was dominating his level of competition, went down there and dominated the week of practice, and then played at one practice at the Senior Bowl and did very well. And, and, and the question is, why is he so good, right? Well, one, he's, he's a very good athlete along the defensive line group, which it can be difficult to find um, big 310-pounders that can move, that are flexible, that can bend, that can work with the space created for them, or have the strength to press the offensive lineman backwards. And he can do all of those things. I think he can shine as a three technique, which is right outside the guard. Right over top of the center is a zero or a one. I think he can do any of this. And to me, he's a top 32 prospect in this class. And if a team spends a first-round pick in Javon Hargrave, I know a, a first-round pick has not come out of the FCS since um, Dominic Rogers cromarty and Joe Flacco, but we could see three of those this year. Obviously, Carson Wentz, maybe Noah Spence, and I would even throw Javon Hargrave's name in that vote, too. Josh Norris, you can check out his entire Eagles mock draft over on Rotor World. He also is on air on NBC Sports. Josh, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, great stuff as always from Josh. Now it's time for our Pick 6. Again, six positions that we think the Eagles should address in the upcoming draft and players who could fit those positions. We decided to go away from quarterback because... The Eagles have been outspoken in saying that they're going to take a quarterback at some point in this draft, and we've talked a lot about the quarterback prospects, especially the top ones, so we wanted to go into some of the other positions. And uh, I'm gonna, I'll start things off here, and I'll go with one that has kind of gone under the radar, in my estimation, and that's defensive and, more specifically, pass rush. You know, Brandon Graham, quality starter. You're going to have Vinnie Curry signed to the long-term deal. Connor Barwin's going to work in as your number three guy at this point, it looks like. The question is, who's coming in after that? You know, Marcus Smith, you know, maybe the transition from a 3-4 to a 4-3 will suit him well. Travis Long is, a, you know, a promising project who has just not been able to stay healthy. It seems like he would have made the team the last couple of seasons, mm-hmm. uh, but he's coming off of multiple ACL injuries. So certainly there's hope for him, but it's not something that you can kind of cement in your lineup. So I think this is a position that the Eagles could look to address, especially with Jim Schwartz wanting to get after the quarterback. He's going to need you know, depth at that position. So a couple guys that I'm going to look at here. Obviously, if Joey Bosa makes it to number eight, I think that's a no-brainer to me. I would be very happy mm-hmm. to see him there. Um, now I'm looking for some mid-round targets. Got Philadelphia native Sean Oakman. Follows career from Penn State to Baylor. You know, physically impressive. Can he put it all together at the next level would be a big question. But, you know, from a stature standpoint, certainly is everything that you'd want in a defensive end. Maryland's Yannick Ngokwe. I don't know if I quite got that last name right. I don't believe you did, but it's close. It's close, (laughs) yes. We'll say it's close there. Uh, Productive pass rusher for the Terrapins. Um, You know, doesn't have the ideal frame, but someone who, you know, kind of like a Brandon Graham type frame, someone who could come off the edge to get up to the quarterback. And a player we mentioned, you know, could be a D-tackle, could be a DN, depending on how you look at him, and Stanford's Aziz Shitu. Uh, you guys saw him at the East-West Shrine game. 
was surprised that he didn't get an invite to the combine. Obviously, a lot of depth at the defensive line position this year, but a very productive uh, playmaker for the Cardinal. Um, so those are a couple of guys who, you know, outside of the elite guy and Joey Bosa, you know, some possible mid-round guys who maybe could be uh, possible you know, options there for the Eagles looking for the pass rush standpoint. Yeah, and I was glad that you brought, you know, Oakman and Nguikwe up because, you know, you've got two different body types, and I'm really interested to see how they approach that position. You know, do, yeah. do they go with some of the play? You look at Jim Schwartz's pass. We talked about this. You know, they'll do bigger, longer guys like a Sean Oakman, you know, like a Carl Nassib, like a Romeo Aquara from Notre Dame, or are we going to see the smaller fastball type? You know, is it Nguikwe? Is it, you know, Kamalai Correa from Boise? I mean, there's all these kind of different players, these different body types. I'm interested to see which direction they go there. Yeah, and I think besides Bosa, Sean Oakman's the name that's going to, you know, pique the interest of most of Eagles fans out there, obviously because they know who he is and, and where he's from. Um, but I think the, the question with him is always his motor. And I've said it before that you know if, D, if Jim Schwartz is your defensive coordinator and he's your coach and you're you know dealing with him every day, I think you're going to get pretty fired up. And if anybody can get that motor going, I'd say it's Jim Schwartz. Yeah, I would agree. Well, uh, the position I wanted to cover first was linebacker. And obviously, really what you're talking about mostly is depth here because uh, you know the Eagles switching to a 4-3, um, you're going to need some linebacker depth behind the starting lineup of what you've got right now with Jordan Hicks and with Michael Kendricks. You have Nigel Bradham here who definitely can start, but you know if the Eagles were to trade back or look, we've we Alex, you and I did uh, one of these segments a couple weeks ago and talked about some off the wall options at number eight, mm-hmm. Reggie Ragland. You know would be a, a great fit as a Mike linebacker in a quote-unquote wide nine attack front because you're funneling everything inside. You want those guys to be able to handle themselves at the point of attack. Reggie Ragland would make a lot of sense for the Eagles at some point in the first round. You know, you look at other players that kind of fit that mold. Josh Forrest from Kentucky, we saw him at the Senior Bowl. Josh Perry from Ohio State, same deal. You know, I, I think Devondre Campbell, who's got yeah. great size. You saw him as one of those guys who just wows you in terms of what he looks like in person. Uh, Campbell from Minnesota, we saw him at the Shrine game. I think can, can be that type of player and has some movement to him as well. And you have a lot of these other guys as well that, you know, undersized but are instinctive and good at the point of attack. You know, Tyler Matikevich from Temple, Scooby Wright from Arizona, you know, Nick Vigil uh, from Utah State. Antoine Williams is another guy. Actually reminds me a lot of Bradham uh, from Georgia Southern. So, uh, you know, linebackers, I think, is an interesting position for the Eagles moving into this draft. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, just some of the guys that you mentioned there, Devondre Campbell, you said it when we saw him down at the Shrine game, just looked so much bigger and stronger than everybody else down there. Uh, a real gifted athlete, so I think he could certainly be a name to watch. I'm going to focus on the running back position. Obviously, DeMarco Murray trade to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Ryan Matthews, I believe, has two years left on his contract. Darren Sproles, I think, has one year left on his deal. Uh, so at some point, I think the Eagles are going to need to find a younger running back to bring into the mix. Uh, I have Ezekiel Elliott on my list. I'm not going to go too in-depth there because I think he'd fit with any NFL team. Uh, but what the Eagles are really, I think the Eagles are going to be looking for is a guy who could be a feature back as opposed to that change of pace. So Elliott obviously could fit. Paul Perkins is a guy from UCLA. The more I watch him, the more I like him. A guy I think can do a lot of different things, can be a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, I really like what I see from Paul Paul Perkins, Kenneth Dixon, obviously, is a guy, friend that you've been high on throughout the whole process. Uh, I think he's a guy who could take on that workload. C.J. Proceis from Notre Dame. And then this is kind of an interesting one. Daniel Lasco from Cal, who's another player that we saw at the Shrine game. Uh, he went to the Combine and just tore it up. He's, he's athletic off the charts. I think the question with him is, you know, could he be a feature back? And I think that's 
it, it's still to be determined whether he could be. Um, but just from you know a pass catching back, a guy who can block and do a lot of different things, uh, I think Daniel Lasco could be a later round pick, uh, you know, a mid round on. Um, he could be an interesting name to watch. So I, I definitely think the running back position uh, is somewhere the Eagles could look to go to to kind of shore that up. All right, I'm going to go offensive line here, and. You know, the Eagles signed Brandon Brooks to shore up the one-guard position. The Eagles gave Lane Johnson the long-term contract to eventually take over at left tackle once Jason Peters uh, leaves or retires. So I still think you're going to need at some point to add depth to kind of, you know, develop that long-term answer at the other tackle position. So, you know, we talked with Josh Norris about Ronnie Stanley. Jack Conklin, I think, could be very much in the mix, even though Stanley and Conklin are really two different types of players. Stanley, I don't want to use the word finesse, but when you talk about pass-blocking types, you know, very agile, very fluid with his feet, very good from a movement standpoint, and Conklin is just a road grader. You know, our friend Lance Airlines comped him to John Runyon, a more athletic version of John Runyon, so you're getting two different types of players, uh, but nonetheless guys who I think could be fits for the Eagles. Other players looking at down the line in the draft – you have Joe Dahl, he could be a guard tackle option for you. Uh, Josh Garnett out of Stanford, he would be a lockdown guard option for you, very productive in the Pac-12. Uh, Christian Westerman also coming from the Pac-12 at Arizona State, a road grader, very, very strong. Um, he was one of the Bruce Feldman freak athletes for his ability to uh, dominate in the weight room. So obviously everyone's talking about who could they possibly get at number eight or maybe they trade back a little bit, but those are a couple of names that I would keep an eye on if the Eagles don't address offensive line up top and maybe go for someone in that third, fourth round range. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, too, about Conklin and the comparison to John Runyon. Uh, my second position, wide receiver. And what is the one trait that they've said you know, throughout the offseason they won for in the wide receiver position is speed. speed. You know, So Corey Coleman from Baylor, uh, Will Fuller from Notre Dame, Mike Thomas Ran a lot better than a lot of people expected out of Ohio State. Chris Moore, we talked about earlier from Cincinnati, is a guy I like. Sharon Peak has shown some promise from Clemson. Colby Listenby, who was Josh Doxson's teammate at TCU. A lot of players, and it's the wide receiver position is kind of flying under the radar as a whole, I think, because it's not the receiver class over the past two, three years. But there's a lot of interesting options, I think, in day three. And we've just talked about a few of them. You know, Braxton Miller and you know, Leonte Carew and Trevor Davis goes to the combine and, and runs out of the gym. So uh, I think there's a lot of interesting options, especially if you're looking for that speed element at the position. Yeah, uh, and from my last position here, I'm going to look at the cornerback spot. Um, and I kind of look at what Jim Schwartz has done and, and the Eagles have done in free agency at the cornerback position. They want to bring in guys who can be physical, who they're not afraid to kind of leave out on an island one-on-one with a guy, but guys who are going to add some nastiness to that defense, some big hitters and some physical players, uh, guys like Ron Brooks and, and Rodney McLeod at the safety position that they brought in. So looking at guys in this draft, I think Xavier Howard from Baylor kind of fits that mold, uh, a guy who can play up at the line, can be physical, get his hands on the receiver, and really disrupt the route. Harlan Miller is another interesting name that we saw down at the Senior Bowl from southeastern Louisiana. Uh, Brian Body Calhoun, another guy from Minnesota. And then Cyrus Jones, not the biggest guy. I think he's listed a little bit over five foot nine. Uh, but he can be physical. He was the best cornerback for Alabama. Um, and don't let his size fool you. I think he can add some of that physicality to the cornerback position that I really think Jim Schwartz is looking for. So um, kind of these press physical corners uh, as mid-round guys I think could be interesting fits for the Eagles. No uh, fullback position here, guys? Didn't address we, it. I couldn't think of enough names. No. Well, you got Glenn Gronkowski. The super back. 
You got Watt. Dan Vital. You got Watt, Watt, Vital. Chris Swain from Navy. Sure. Soma sure. Vanuku from uh, from USC. Right. Great special teamer. Right. There we go. We're never back's done. There we go. So <laughs> that's gonna do it for our pick six. Now it's time for the unofficial visit, and we're gonna go back to the offensive line. Fran had a chance to catch up with former Notre Dame offensive lineman Nick Martin. Here is the unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. Here now with Notre Dame offensive lineman Nick Martin. And Nick, uh, for those who have yet to see you play, can you provide a quick scouting report of yourself? Yeah, I uh, play center and guard both this week. Uh, a little bit more right than left, but played left guard as well. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to play hard and finish every block. Obviously, uh, a lot of people know you as your brother. You know, Z- uh, Zach Martin went in the first round of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, what have you learned from him as far as going through the draft process? He was down here at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, what advice has he given you throughout the process? You know, it's tough work. Uh, sometimes it gets hectic at times, especially here with everyone trying to talk to you and practice. They said, when it comes time to perform, you got to strap it on and go hard. And what, based off the feedback you've gotten from scouts so far, what's one area you know you want to improve on in your game moving forward? Uh, you know, anything with a snap hand. Maybe a little bit lower body strength and just keep keep working. Do you think that's an area that, as a center, people don't really think about that? Obviously, everyone talks about all those same traits with all the other offensive linemen. No one really talks about the actual mechanics of the snap. Yeah, you know, you're fighting with one hand at the start of every play, so you're down an arm. Um, so you've got to get back as soon as possible and try to regroup it. It's always going to be a battle in there. Yeah, Notre Dame has always been known to have such a great uh, schedule just because uh, of their conference affiliation. Who would you say is the best player you've gone up against uh, throughout your career? Uh, well, we played Aaron Donald, so I would say he's pretty good. Yeah, no, no question. How about this past season as a senior? Past season, we played, we played a lot of good D-lines. Um, hard to pick out one particular. Sure. Well, I appreciate the time. and Best of luck moving forward. Absolutely. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, time for our draft mailbag. Let's get right into it. At Joe McGillis, 17 on Twitter, wants to know, is there a realistic possibility that Miles Jack or Joey Bosa could fall to number eight for the Eagles? I think it's definitely a realistic possibility because really all you're looking at is you have seven picks going ahead of the Eagles. If the two quarterbacks go, that gives you a five. That's, that's a big one. That's the a big one. You need both to quarterbacks go. to go in the top seven. Yes. Um, you figure Tun- uh, Tunsil, Ramsey, Jack. Well, Jack's well, one Jack's of the players were open to fall. So. You figure Tunsil. Uh, you probably need Rodney Stanley, honestly, to go as well. Yeah. You, you need, what you need is one of those surprise players, the players mm-hmm. that a lot of people are talking about for the Eagles. Vernon Hargreaves, uh, Ronnie Stanley. Maybe Buckner. Buckner. You need Buckner mm-hmm. to go. One of the, and you only need one. Because yeah. if, you, if you get one of those guys to go, now you're allowing one of those two players, either Bosa or Jack, to drop. Because, again, all you need is seven. You have the two quarterbacks. Right. The two studs makes it four. Buckner makes it five. Uh, I'm missing another player here somewhere in the mix there. But either way, maybe one of the wide receivers jumps up. Sure, you need a a surprise in both quarterbacks is what it comes down to. Uh, Yeah, I think it's – I don't – I think it's more likely of the two that Miles Jack would fall, maybe just because of his his medical background. But, um, I mean, Joey Bosa, I think he's probably a lock to be a top six player. I don't know if I see him going past Jacksonville or or even to the Ravens there. But – is, is it a possibility? Sure, but I think, uh, like you said, somebody has to jump up and surprise people in order for that to happen. But of the two, I would think Miles Jack would be more likely, and frankly, I'd be thrilled with that. All right. Neil Dutton, at ndutton13 on Twitter, wants to know, why is the price to move up to number one seen as reasonable by some this year, but the move up to number two last year was too much? 
Well, well it's, where, it's where you start at, right? It's where you start Last at year, you're going from 20 to 2. This yeah. year, you're going from 8 to 1 or 2. So I think that plays a huge part in it. I think t- the other thing, too, plays into the fact that last year it was consensus. Number 1, number 2, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are in some order. They were the quarterback. That was it. Uh, this year, you're taking other positions into account, uh, and there's some value there in terms of, oh, well, you know, if, I, if, I, if you're the Tennessee Titans and you want Laramie Tunsil, if you're the Tennessee Titans and you want Jalen Ramsey, you can maybe slide down the board and potentially still get him at two, three, or four. So uh, I think that's why you might see a good amount of movement this year. It's also, we also don't know what the price is. Sure. I know well, yeah. the so, report is that Tennessee has a solid offer, but what is that solid what is offer? The offer? Sure. That's, that's a big component. And I think also teams are going to look at what Washington did in 2012 to get RG3, the heavy price they paid. And they didn't have to move up that high. They were at six, I believe. They go from six, six, yeah, six, six to, two. to two. And they paid that king's ransom to get there, and it didn't work out. So I think teams are going to be less likely to want to pay that price, especially when RG3 was back then viewed as more of a sure thing. And it was, that's right. the thing, is that it was a quarterback draft, too. You're yes. talking luck, RG3 is consensus mm-hmm. one, one, two. One, two, whereas you're thinking quarterbacks here, Wentz and Goff aren't viewed as the locks that those two were back then. All right, next question comes from at Jeffrey underscore Warren on Twitter. The D-line needs depth. Can we expect to see one of the two third-round picks address the D-line? And we've kind of gone through some of those possible options. I I certainly think that it's in play, no question. Um, Yeah, I mean, you look at either either way, D-end or D-tackle, I would imagine that you're going to see some depth added throughout the draft. Yeah, I think it, it just, you know, we always go back to it, but it's how the draft plays out. If you're there at the third round and you have a guy who's, you know, one, two, or three on your board that's still left, then sure, you take him. But if, if you can get better value somewhere else, I mean, it all depends on how things shake out. Where do you think Javon Hargrave is going to go? I think he's going to be in the third round when it's all said and done. Yeah, nice, a quick nice third round pick, on. yeah, a quick th- three technique type player can penetrate. You know, Josh talked about him earlier. I, I think that he certainly is, is a viable third round option. All right, next question comes from Sean Flynn at Funkmaster Flynn on Twitter. Why haven't the Eagles worked out Cardell Jones, could fill other needs at eight and let him develop? I thought Tommy Lawler wrote a great column, his fandom only column on Sunday, about how we need to be realistic about the quarterback prospects because everyone just says, well, just take a guy in the third and let him develop. Well, the odds of that working out just simply aren't that great. There aren't a lot of guys that get taken in the third or fourth or fifth or sixth round and yeah. develop into starting quarterbacks. No, and, you know, everyone's going to say Tom Brady. Everyone's right. going to say Tony Romo. And people will now say Russell Wilson. I mean, if Russell Wilson was 6'2", 6'3", instead of six foot, he's probably first-round right. pick. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, we had the Greg Cosell on last week's podcast who yep. went in-depth about his questions and concerns regarding Cardell Jones. Um, you know, certainly – Arm talents off the charts, but doesn't have a lot of playing experience. Um, there's a lot of, you know, why did he lose his starting job right. last season? So a lot of flags there. Not saying, and we don't know if the Eagles have worked him out. Mm-hmm. That's so, the thing, too. They, might, they may have worked him they out. They may have because, worked uh, him out. You know, just because Ian Rappaport hasn't reported it yet it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Certainly. So I can understand why the Eagles would want, but also there are some things to be cautious with. But, you know, maybe it's not. You know, Carl Jones, maybe it's like, you know, uh, Josh Norris had Kevin Hogan in the third round. Maybe it's another quarterback who could develop. I think either way, no matter where you're drafting a quarterback, you're going to want him to to kind of sit back and learn this season because you got Sam Bradford, because you got Chase Daniel uh, manning the fourth. 
Uh, next question comes from All About Them Birds. I'd like to know more about wide receivers Colby Listonby, you just talked about him briefly a second ago, as well as Demarcus Robinson of Florida as possible fits for the Eagles. So start with Listonby. Well, well actually, I'll start with Robinson, right. who, I, just, who I think... Why, uh, why am I here? <laughs> what's, my, what's my purpose? <laughs> I'll start with Robinson because, honestly, this guy, if everything was clean off the field, he would, he'd be a first or second round pick. He is an outstanding talent uh, in terms of the athletic ability, the hands, the ball skills, the route running, the blocking. I mean, he's a very well-rounded wide receiver prospect uh, and a guy whose arrow is pointing up physically. You just have to make sure that he checks out off the field. You know, he's suspended reportedly at least three times during his time uh, at Florida in three years. I mean, that, that's an issue that you have to feel comfortable with when you draft him. If he's available in the fourth, fifth round, that's great, and you get some value. If he gets, goes off the board by, for a team in the second or third round, I would not be shocked because he's got that kind of ability. Liston B is a burner, and there's not a ton of 4-3 guys, you know, low 4-4 guys in this draft. He's one of them, and he's a vertical threat. Uh, was supposed to be down at the Senior Bowl, couldn't attend because of injury. Played out opposite of Josh Doxson in that explosive offense and was very productive over the last couple of years. He's certainly one of those top deep threats in this draft. Are people not talking about Listenby as much because of Doxson? Or is it, could he injury. be of the injury? I think, the inju- I think okay. if he had gone to the Senior Bowl and played, a lot of more people would be talking about him. Uh, the fact that he didn't, I think, kind of hurt him a little bit. All right, last question for the podcast comes from our good friend Wilton Houston. If the Eagles stay at eight, who would you rather draft? Ashawn Robinson, D lineman from Alabama, Vernon Hargraves, corner from Florida, or Jalen Smith, the Notre Dame linebacker, assuming that he is medically cleared? If he's medically cleared, it's Jalen Smith, and I'll run it to the podium from here. Well, medically cleared being he's good to go right away. Like you feel, well, well he's not going to be clear. He's not going to be good. Right. He won't be good right away. So it's a matter of, like if you feel good, okay, it's just. He know, needs a redshirt year. He needs and, a redshirt yeah. year or he's not going to be ready until November, whatever it is. I'm, I'm taking Jalen Smith. I just, I, I, I would hesitate a little bit to take him in the first round. I think he's, I he's in, he's in phenomenal talent. Um, but just you know, reading different things about what his injury is and all that stuff. Um, I, so that's the thing is you got to go if if you if you're if the Eagles doctors get back and say, you know what, he's gonna he's gonna be fine by Thanksgiving, and he's gonna be able to play or he's gonna be able to start working. You know, he's already working out, right? But he's gonna be able to play by Thanksgiving and be a hundred percent by 2017. I'm taking Jalen Smith. I I think of these three. I right now, I, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Hargraves. Of the I three, I should go Robinson. Really? So okay. So we got a three-way, three-way split here. Disruptive D lineman uh, played in defense that didn't ask uh, the D lineman to get after the quarterback. Very similar to what the Eagles had in the last couple of years with Bill Davis as coordinator. Uh, Things scratching the potential. Think could be very, very good. Uh, you know, as a penetrating D lineman in the NFL. So, to me, of the three, that's as much as I want Jalen Smith. I'm just. There's going to be that hesitation that even if you tell me well, he's 100% by next year, is he ever going to be definitely 100%? Right. The, yeah. the little leprechaun uh, mascot for Notre Dame is just really disappointing. He's crying. He's very, he should be disappointed <laughs> in me right now. No question. Uh, I, and then when I look at these three names, I go back to upside, which is what yeah. you talked about, uh, the whole subject of Eagle Eye last week. Uh, and I think Jalen Smith obviously has tremendous upside, but I think Vernon Hargraves is another guy who could be, you know, 
you never know how these guys are going to shake out necessarily, but Hargreaves is a guy who could be the a really good cornerback at the next level and could really just add a ton to the Eagles' secondary. So I think that's why I'd probably lean his way. I do think that if of the three, if you're taking the injury into account with Jalen Smith, and the question said it's not, but if you, if you yeah. take it into account, I think Hargreaves has the highest floor of those three. I, I think Hargreaves is pretty – I feel good that he's going to be a good NFL cornerback. All right, then. There you go. That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Special thanks to Brian Thomas, our producer manning things behind the scenes. For Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. We will be back next week. Tony Pauline, Uncle Tony himself, will be in studio. Yes. So we will be getting the latest dirt from the man himself as the NFL draft is fast approaching. We'll talk to you all soon.